This thing could come from witches or sorcerers. It could, it could be loaded with black magic. And what are you loaded with? Oh. Do you see anything? Where's the man with the horns who comes in with a bargain for the soul? It's a kooky camera, that's all. Come on, we're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys um, uh, came back after that trouble with Templeton because, uh, you know, the script said so. So you better show back up. Yeah. Too much time at the theater. <laughs> That's true. So, <laughs> I watched this episode this week and uh, I, I, I got to tell you this little uh, little story here. Um, we'll get into why this is relevant with the episode later. But so my family owns a cottage that my grandpa built a long time ago up on Lake Erie and for years, there's been this shipwreck poster that I've always had my eye on. Um, and it, like all me and my cousins are like, if we ever get rid of this place, like I want it. Like all of us are going to fight over it because <laughs> it's such a cool poster. And a uh, local antique store, um, one of my cousins actually saw they posted on their Instagram that they got the same poster. It's kind of pricey. So I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about robbing the antique store. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I, I'm thinking about robbing the cabin. Like, like that's the easy no. target. No, uh, it, this episode gave me the idea. So, <laughs> Well, if you hear the sirens in the background running by my street, they're coming for you because they, they heard your plan. Yeah. Um, that, that's that's kind of awesome. Um, speaking of uh, rare finds, not really. I was going to save this until we got to talking. I um, was uh, <laughs> I was at uh, an exchange just kind of poking around. Because uh, what they do, the record exchange here in, in Ohio, they'll give you an email like, it's your birthday month. Go get like some t- money off of something. And I was digging through and I found the very best of One Step Beyond, which is a TV series that ran around the same time as the Twilight Zone. And it is 50 episodes of One Step from Beyond or One Step Beyond. And looking at this thing, it's supposed to be reenactments of things like it's this it's like these are all true stories but they all look paranormal so i wonder if the word true is like loosely used um charles bronson usually is yeah charles bronson's an episode uh who else is in here um oh i saw oh shoot um i I saw these names before uh was it uh loja robert loja's in this as well warren Beatty. uh so it's like there's some like interesting names in here cloris leachman's in this as well but it's like 50 episodes and it was for $1 at the exchange. So I had to buy all of this because it's two cents an episode. So it seems like a pretty good value. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. But yeah, the exchange here in Cleveland is uh, it's a treasure trove of good finds in that dollar section. But the back of it says, step out of the zone, enter a dimension of paranormal mysteries. Hmm. I wonder what they're trying to, to make you think about. Yeah, so, I'd rather step back into the zone. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, no, so, like, some of those are fun. I've I've caught a few of those on YouTube here and there uh, a few years ago. I just, yeah, definitely not the quality that Twilight Zone is. <laughs> um, that's why I'm guessing it was a dollar. You know, but then yeah, then what well, I would, and, and those transfers uh, are probably terrible. Probably. Well, I mean, are they as terrible as some of the VHS stuff that we've seen already? Is it as bad as uh, the lateness of the hour, or is it just worse than that? It's it's worse than that. Oh, At least bad. the transfer, maybe not when it initially aired, but. Um, but yeah, it, it's got to look bad. <laughs> so when I went to go buy this, it was the only thing I bought because I couldn't find anything else I wanted. And the, the coupon was supposed to be like 20% off of a used item. They're like, do you want to use that? I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want to buy that. Like, I feel like 80 cents is still a value, but I don't want to burn my coupon on that. So I, I held off, but I spent my $1 and I, now I now have 50 episodes of one step beyond. I didn't get a coupon. That, that's our next, that's our next podcast. 
is every episode that I have here on this one dollar, uh, one dollar uh, four DVD set. There used to be a uh, podcast called The Mill Creeps, and they would do all the Mill Creek releases. That like uh, budget DVD releasing okay, company. Gotcha. Yeah, that was a fun idea. <laughs> that is a fun idea. So anyway, uh, so you you want to rob a place? I bought something for a dollar. That feels very like this is a this is actually a good lead into this episode. Yeah. Uh, I'm, well, mine came directly from the episode, and I just want to put it out there. I'm not going to rob the store uh, here in Cleveland. <laughs> well, I mean, good. of course, this is recording, so this is your alibi. So of course, you know, I am not. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> like we'll timestamp this so it covers you're like you're like oh um i'm definitely not going to be robbing that store at 10 14 uh on uh on saturday like something like that i like that like oh i have podcast proof that i was i was recording that was definitely not me stealing that poster because you know podcasts are live well some of them yeah yeah we're always live <laughs> it's, we're, we are yeah uh anyway i'm getting, I'm, I'm losing i'm losing my mind uh <laughs> It's that value. I, I can't believe the value I have. Uh, season two, episode 10. We're already over a third of the way through the season, by the way. Just want to point that out. This is crazy. Um, a most unusual camera. Air date, 12-16-1960. Number one song, uh, Are You Lonesome Tonight? Elvis Presley. Number one film, Swiss Family Robinson. Ah. I'm sure I've seen this movie. I just don't remember anything about it. I feel like it's one of those ones that they showed us when I was like at elementary school. Yeah, I I remember watching it when I was a kid. I remember nothing of it. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, I can go. remember like certain frames of the film, and that's about it. Yeah. Uh, so the only thing happened on this day, and it's actually kind of tragic. There was a major airline collision between two planes or two large uh, airliners, and I don't want to get into all that because it's kind of gruesome. However, I just want to mention that the like when they actually collided, people were um, what was it? Uh, eight eight people were. Uh, hurt or killed in Brooklyn because of debris falling. So the, these these airplanes hit over New York, wow. and that is just like it's it's you know obviously you never want that to happen anyway. And it's sad whenever these things happen, but it's like the, the idea that there was debris raining down is always something I think about in movies. You know, this yeah. this happened. So well, there's um, two planes, uh, one landing at LaGuardia, and one landing at JFK. So yeah, they were right over the city. Yeah. So um, yeah. Yeah, super sad. Um, no horses died that I'm aware of, though. So yeah, good. but uh, it, it's funny. I I wish that bit of news would have been this week <laughs> because it would have tied directly into this episode. It's true. It uh, would have. So uh, you haven't heard the last of Hyperion. That's true. R.I.P. Hyperion. Um, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that kind of sucked up uh, doing any research of the state beyond that. Um, well, there's a yeah. lot written about it. A lot of stories. So yeah, let's just get to. Did you have something else to say about it? No, that's all I got. That was uh, plane crashes are bad, and I'm not going to make a joke about that. Yep. Horse dying. Right. That that jokes all day long. Not plane crashes though. <laughs> all right, we'll jump into cast and crew here. Uh, this episode was directed by John Rich, uh, who did one other Twilight Zone episode, a kind of stopwatch that we'll see later on. A most unusual camera and a, a kind of stopwatch. Those are weird titles just to direct both of those. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So he was a producer and writer for TV. He actually, uh, or producer and director, excuse me. Um, he produced and directed most of All in the Family um, and then did a lot of directing with other comedies like Gomer Pyle, Dick Van Dyke Show, Brady Bunch. And that style definitely shows through here on this episode. Um, not to get ahead of myself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I also noticed here that in the 80s, him and uh, Henry Winkler formed a production company, and their big thing they, they produced together was MacGyver. Oh. Yeah. Uh, very nice. Yeah, he was uh, he was a pretty big producer for TV, uh, more so than his directing was. So uh, interesting career. Um, a lot of TV that's kind of forgotten about at this point. <laughs> he's He's done... Like all in the family is still is still on TV, uh, occasionally Brady Bunch obviously and stuff like that. But there are some shows on there I've never heard of. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, all the family though that was risky at the time. Like just uh, it, it still yeah. is. Yeah, that's true. Like I I think they don't play it as much anymore because it's still that offensive at times. I mean, this guy's you know job was on the line, and you just like hear about like um just like just the tension about the first few episodes being aired because they were already made and they were like halfway through the season, much like the Twilight Zone, 
and CBS is like, what are you doing? And it's like, then um, was it Norman Lear who was in charge of that? He said, like, at that time, before the, the, before the first episode aired, he's like, if you guys aren't going to air this, I'm leaving right now. And he CBS called his bluff and put it up anyway, and they didn't change anything. Huh. So that's interesting. Yeah, I think we joked in the past about doing an all in the family podcast, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that would, that be, would be a really <laughs> uncomfortable podcast. It would be. Yes, I, I, I think so. Um, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> yeah, this episode was written by Rod Serling. Go figure. Yeah. Um, so pretty small cast in this episode. We have Fred Clark, who plays Chester Dietrich. Uh, this was his only Twilight Zone episode. Uh, probably his biggest role was Sunset Boulevard. And I just want to mention Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine. <laughs> so I think I've brought it up before. And I love those two Dr. Goldfoot movies. Uh, if you haven't seen them, it's Vincent Price in these ridiculous like sex comedies. That sounds amazing. Yeah, with like Bikini Robot Girls. It's, oh. it's really fun. Now I'm really interested. Now you said Bikini Robot Girls. That's uh, Robots, excuse rob- me. Sorry, Bikini uh, a robot Girls. I'm all about it. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah, so there's a common thread between all four of these actors. Um, The characters that they play in this are pretty much the characters they will play throughout their entire careers. Um, Fred Clark was typecast throughout his entire career as kind of being the straight man in the comedy. Just, you know, the serious one that the comedians play off of. And by proxy, he's also funny. So he did a lot of comedy just being that serious, straight-faced, uh, crotchety, mustached man. <laughs> yeah, I put in my notes here. I was like, Fred Clark as Chester, a.k.a. every shitty landlord or businessman ever. That's what he felt yeah. like to me. Uh, yeah, so then Gene Carson, who plays his wife um, and is referred to as wife <laughs> throughout this episode, uh, plays Paula Dietrich. And this was her only Twilight Zone episode. And uh, the only other, like, genre piece that she did was I married a monster from outer space. Um, pretty terrible film, but figured I'd mention it. Um, yeah, similar to Fred Clark. She played pretty much this character throughout her entire career as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Unique voice. And I think that's what kept her out of a lot of the different roles because she has some good comedic timing. She has good charisma. Her voice isn't bad. It's just, it's different, you know? And and I think that may have been the thing that identified her. Um, and like, so just, but like, I kept thinking like I've seen her before and it's a lot of TV stuff, but I feel like there's people later on that were kind of inspired by the way she carried herself because it's something about that's very familiar. Yeah. I I think I would go as far to say that 75% of this cast um, has pretty good comedic timing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you can uh, guess which one I'm not a fan of, but we're <laughs> going to be talking about him right now. Um, Adam Williams plays uh, her brother, Woodward. Um, we've talked about him previously in the Hitchhiker episode. He plays the sailor uh, that she, that Nan picks up. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say about this character. We'll get to it. Um, well, his feet were like hot bricks. I can tell you that. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Uh, so next up, we have Marcel Hillier, who plays the waiter, uh, also known as Pierre. He was in one other Twilight Zone episode uh, called The New Exhibit. And again, he was a character actor. He was uh, he was from France, and uh, he came to Hollywood and played pretty much every French character So here, uh, whenever he, anyone needed one in TV or here, here's uh, the, Yeah, he's not French, actually. Here's the thing that's going to surprise you unless you really dug into him. Well, I saw his father and I believe his brother were uh, um, opera singers, if I'm not mistaken. That I don't I didn't have in here, but I just know that he is actually he was working for it's called Tot, T-O-D-T, which is more of like the the, um, business side of the, the Nazi army. And whenever he whenever it was found out that his his background was partially Jewish. Uh, he was uh, put in jail to await for execution, uh, but then transferred to Berlin uh, to face, uh, what was it? <laughs> he was transferred to Berlin to face a six-year-old statutory rape charge made before the war. Um, so something happened where he ended up getting away from all that, and pretty much he played the French character because he didn't want to draw attention to his actual life being German-Jewish and having a really dark past. Uh. Um, it, it is messed up. Like, I... um. 
I just he has a whole big thing about like his earlier life. It's like on the Wikipedia about like just he he plays that the what you think of as like the snooty Frenchman, and I and I he's typecast as that. And I think that's by him forcing that on everybody <laughs> so that they don't look backwards at what he did. Huh. Yeah, I, I don't know how I missed that, but yeah, his father and brother uh, both had careers as opera singers. Hmm. I saw, so I don't know how I found that, but none of the other stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it looks like whenever, um, whenever he was in Berlin, uh, like in prison for that, the Russian army liberated Berlin and he was released. Then, so it's like I feel like, like they probably weren't paying attention. It's like, oh well, you know, we've taken back Berlin. You guys are free to go. And he's like, I'm French now, you know. So very yeah. like after what after reading about that and then watching them the second time i was just like ah this this guy's just a creep you know and he was annoying yeah, the is. first time but he was just a creep like yeah so yeah there you but go. he made a career for himself um playing that french character yeah like so if you ever see any of these characters in anything else besides maybe adam williams um because this was kind of out of form for him um you're pretty much going to see the same performances yeah <laughs> So that's it. Uh, you're right. That's all we have. And the, like, there were some racehorses, but like, we're you know, none of them were important. None yeah, of them none Hyperion. of them were uh, Hyperion because yeah. he died last week. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, let's just get to uh, Serling. A hotel suite that, in this instance, serves as a den of crime. The aftermath of a rather minor event to be noted on a police blotter, an insurance claim, perhaps a three-inch box on page twelve of the evening paper. Small addenda to be added to the list of the loot. A camera. A most unimposing addition to the flotsam and jetsam that it came with. Hardly worth mentioning, really, because cameras are cameras. Some expensive, some purchasable at five and dime stores. But this camera, this one's unusual. Because in just a moment, we'll watch it inject itself into the destinies of three people. It happens to be a fact that the pictures that it takes can only be developed in the Twilight Zone. So there's a really cool shot of him standing in front of the mirror with his back to the mirror. And then you see uh, the couple and the like reflected. And it's very much like like the frames of a photograph. It was a really cool shot. Probably the best shot of the episode. Yeah, that that's fair. And then Sterling had a cigarette. <laughs> so he was back to being calm. So good for him. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I, I I honestly thought he didn't have a cigarette again. I, I started writing it down the first time I watched it. I was like, uh oh, uh oh, he's looking awkward. And all of a sudden his hand raised up with that cigarette. And I was like, OK, all right. Like, things are going to be normal. <laughs> like retroactively, are you just hoping that you don't ever see it again? Because you're like, come on, Rod, this time you can make the decision not to smoke the cigarette. Yeah, you can quit this time. <laughs> You've made it one week. You've made it over the hump. Like you can do it. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, uh I, again, these are the second season's weird because he's he's already like three minutes or four minutes into the story when he talks now, um, but uh, yeah, like you you see them in a hotel room, they're reading a newspaper article about this heist that happened, um, and she's reading aloud um, all the things that were taken, and it's a nice scene. Yeah, there was a, there was an antique store that was uh, burgled. So yeah, uh, and and Chester is kind of like um, like just kind of knocking everything that they stole. Like he, he identifies it all as kind of garbage as she's reading it. And it, it's, it's a funny scene. And then he gets mad because the store owners are claiming these things have a higher value or importance than they really are. And he's saying that's a crime. So I like his kind of moral judgment of like, oh, they're going to steal from the insurance company while they have all the stolen goods in their, in their uh, hotel room. Yeah, he's like, ah, he's just trying to write it up so he'll get more money from his insurance company. And uh, yeah, he's go he's going through the room. I like other, uh, wh what was there? There was some uh, Chinese. Uh, like vases, like Ming Dynasty. Yeah, and, he and just he's just throwing them. them on the ground. There's uh, some Picasso paintings. He's like, ah, they're just frame posters. He's but like, this guy then thinks he Picasso's a sports car or whatever he says. Yeah. Um, and then he gets to an antique camera and he's basically like, this is a toy camera. And he's like, yeah, let's see if it works. So he tells her to go by the window and takes a picture of her. And they're kind of arguing about it. Whose idea was it? You get the idea that they're kind of always at each other's throats. And while they're arguing, the camera starts developing the picture and he goes over and takes a look at it. He's kind of confused. And, uh, she comes over and looks and, and she's like, wow, it's a great picture. He tells her to go look in the mirror and they look at the picture and you find out that there is a fur coat on her in the picture, which she is not wearing in the room. Well, I like that she sees the photo 
of her with the coat on. And he's like, go look in the mirror. Like, you couldn't just be like, hey, you're not wearing a coat. I like yeah. to like, make her look in the mirror to see it. Yeah. So he's like, oh, you know, it must be a gag camera. That was his first instinct. And uh, it, it's it's like, I think he compares it to the, uh, I don't know, the, the stands up, stand-ups at the carnival where you stick your head through. Yeah. There's another body there. And uh, that would be really crazy technology for this time. I know we have it on uh, Instagram and Facebook now, but at that time for it to line up that well, like, that's strange and, instinct. And, and take a photo of the hotel room and put a coat. Like it's you're right. It's like it was a weird, it was a weird hand wave. But then again, like these guys are crooks. They're not exactly. I mean, he's he's the smartest one in the room. And the, like by yeah, well, that's that's not saying much. Though. Yeah. Um. So, but then, uh. Then they find that the trunk they open up and there's the fur coat in there, and she puts it on and then they realize that like that's the one from the the photo and well she goes and poses by the window, window. after she puts it on just like the photo yeah um, but I'll say this though uh, for a lot of the direction in the episode which there isn't much you can do here there's a nice shot of them both looking at the photo and then looking down at the camera and the the film camera turns down and towards the the photo camera and it's a nice like of an episode full of talking and, and back and forth. It was nice to have this moment of them both realizing something's wrong without one of them verbalizing it. Yeah. Well, I, I get kind of caught up when stuff isn't super stylized, but as far as like storytelling through camera movements and everything, uh, this guy does a, the John rich does a good enough job. I mean, yeah. I, I really don't have any complaints as far as like, it doesn't necessarily look bad. There's nothing that feels like a missed opportunity. It's just, it, he basically gets to the point and tells the stories. No frill. Yeah. I did. Well, it's just like, and this is not the same episode, um, but with, the, with the dialogue being so snappy and back and forth, um, it reminded me of the chaser with its kind of pace in terms of like the, the quick talking and mm-hmm. that, and there was a, a much more sense of style with that. It was, a, it was a different story, but I feel like these guys are supposed to be crooks living in a nice hotel room. I was hoping for a little bit of that kind of feeling like, you know, I, it's just there, this, it was, it was serviceable, but nothing about the way that the episode was presented is going to be memorable to me other than that, that Sterling shot. Uh, there's one thing that's memorable oh. for me in this episode. We'll get to it. Um, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying with that. It just, I, I wish it would have been a little darker. Um, I, again, it's whenever there's comedy introduced that I start having problems with episodes. And uh, I, I don't think that because we've we've just saw an episode with uh, item in an antique store, basically, that was haunted with uh, man in the bottle. Yeah. Which played it a little bit darker. Well, I should say a lot darker. <laughs> he turns into Hitler. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't necessarily love that episode either so this is kind of the same take on that story yeah i was kind of hoping that they the were the same hinting. way and it still didn't work so maybe this type of story just doesn't work necessarily for me maybe i was really hoping that they robbed that antique store i was really hoping that there would be some kind of reference to the man in the bottle store you know that that's where they took everything from but i know yeah. I, I know they wouldn't be thinking that far ahead and actually this this script was intended to be in the first season they just never got around to it for one reason mm-hmm. or another um, and we'll get more into that too after we get through the whole story here. But, um, but yeah, like they start talking about this thing, and, and uh, so after that first photo, like it cuts to the, the the chapter break, and or the commercial break, and it it cuts to them in the bedroom portion, and he he's still up looking at this thing, trying to puzzle it out, and she is talking to him about like they have this conversation about like you know, what do you think it is. And at the very beginning of this episode, when we're recording it, I like that he's like it's full of black magic or something. And then she calls out the Twilight Zone specifically uh, with the statement where I have it written down here. It's at the very beginning, though. Like, uh, where where's the guy with the horns? Uh, where's the man with the horns who comes in with a bargain for the soul? That just yeah. feels like they, like Serling was kind of poking at his yeah, own well, show. Yeah, winking a nod at the, at the viewer there. Yeah. So I appreciated that. So she's like, it's a kooky camera. What are you going to do? And then she takes a photo of the door just to show him, like, you know, what's going to happen next? And and then that's when you that's when you meet you know Kevin's favorite part of the episode, yeah. So then it when the picture develops, it shows her brother Woodward, who we find out that uh, he's a year into a seven year uh, jail sentence. So they're like, ah, oh, well that can't be. 
Uh, there's no way he's here. And as soon as they say that, there's a knock at the door or the door starts opening and Woodward enters the room and immediately uh, explains they broke out of jail. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of funny. Uh, just the, the timing of that scene. Um, just so like there's no way he's going to show up here and the door opens. You know, it's 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 cheap, but it, it made me giggle. Um, yeah, it, this oh God, this character of Woodward is terrible. I <laughs> which which episode? Oh man, it was last season with the uh, with the crook that got killed. And goes and gets that big uh, fancy apartment. Oh, um, uh, yeah. You're talking about. Um, oh, why can't I think of which episode that is? It is. Um, oh, shoot. I, I know what I want to call it. That's not the right name of it. Because I keep I keep want to call it by the like. Uh, oh, obviously, uh, it wasn't the most memorable episode. No, I'll, I'll find it. Just give me a second. But uh, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah a, a nice place to visit. There we go. Correct? Yeah. 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 Um, the character in that. I remember having uh, a Henry uh, Rocky Valentine. Yes. There it is. That's a character. I remember having a problem with him because the overstylized criminal uh, characters never really. I, I'm not a big fan of them. And this takes that character. And I, I, I don't even know how to put it nicely. Uh <laughs> I, I wrote. He I, seems mentally challenged. Yeah, I wrote. My name's Woodward, and I'm a dumber Barney Rubble. That's what I wrote in my notes while watching yeah, this episode. But it's not just like dumb. Like it feels like there's something wrong. <laughs> like, well, I I don't know, but it's it's to the point of feeling insensitive. <laughs> yeah, um, he he is very like because like I. <laughs> There, there is some dialogue here. Like once he, they, they realize he's there and I like his whole reasoning was, I'm just going to stay with you guys. So that way we don't argue as much, even him being, you know, not all there. He knows the way they act. And I thought that was kind of nice to be like, well, maybe if I'm around, you won't argue so much. It was a weird, a weird thing to be like, I'm breaking out of jail to help my sister and her husband. Um, but he, yeah, he, he was there. He was kind of the surrogate, I guess, for the audience, which you didn't need for, um, the leader, uh, was Frank. Is that his name? If it was a Frank. Yeah. Frank or Chester. Why'd I call him Chester? Frank? Yeah. Whatever. Um, Frank, Frank Chester. Um, he, you know, he needed to explain to, uh, Woodward, like what was going on, I don't, which I don't know why he needed that because the conversation that he was having already with, uh, Paula was fine. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, he does nothing for this episode. Um, he causes them to over-explain a super simplified plot. Um, he's aggravating. He's annoying. Um, like I said, he's kind of insensitive to the, just how slow they made his character. Um, I, I, <laughs> I was really uh, put off by it. The only thing he does for the episode is he kind of informs the end. But I, I feel like you could have just written the ending a little bit different and just not had him in there and had a better episode with just the two of them. Yeah, I agree. Cause he didn't, yeah. he wasn't it's even good so comedy annoying. relief. He was, he, he was just like, go watch TV. Oh, okay. And he just goes over and starts well, watching TV real loud. Yeah. So after, uh, he explains to him, um, they're trying to come up with a scheme. Uh, cause at Woodward's like, well, maybe we'll sell tickets and people can take pictures with it and see what they're, what they're going to be doing in five minutes. I guess that's interesting for people. Uh, so uh, Chester kind of has a change of, a change of heart and he's like, well, no, why don't, you know, what are we? We're, we're, we're criminals. We're bad people. Like, why don't we do something nice for once? Why don't we have something here that can help humanity? He says like, let's do something good for once and we'll put our names on it and it'll be a gift to humanity from us. And, um, so he looks over at Woodward and he's like, don't you have some TV or something to watch? And, uh, Woodward's like, Oh yeah. And just turns around, turns the TV on. So when he turns the TV on, there's a horse race playing. And, uh, as soon as Chester sees a horse race, he has a change of heart. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I like that. Like, even though it's a dumb exchange, I like it's like, you know, for science. And Woodward's like, who? He's like, for science, you know, for humanity. And he's like, who? Like, it's such a dumb back and forth. It's terrible. Uh, it's terrible. But it, like, I, I, I liked um, I liked uh, Chester's reaction to it better than than Woodward's. You know, like, well, I just, I, yeah. he plays that great straight man, like playing off of somebody who is playing an absurd character like he does a great job at that so like 
I can appreciate that. But Woodward is so annoying. Like he's got to be one of my least favorite characters of all the episodes we've covered so far. But I like that Paula says, what did humanity ever do for us? And then Chester's trying to be all high and mighty. Like, no, 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 we can use this for science. And then the moment he realizes he can make money and Woodward's like, but what about humanity? He's like, what did humanity ever do for us? I just like that. That just got turned back around real quick. It was a nice, like just call back with an admitted of it being said. It was, it was a good joke. Well, yeah, Chester and his wife, they play off of each other really well. Like there, there's some back and forth, like even that, uh, um, the bit you played at the beginning when he's like, it could be loaded with black magic. And she's like, what are you loaded with? <laughs> like, there's some great back and forth between them. So nothing against them. I just, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, his feet are like hot bricks. He has to go somewhere. Um, yep. So, so, so he, he yeah. comes up with the idea of uh, taking a picture of the winning board before the race and then uh, betting on whatever horse wins the race. And there's a, uh, about 30 seconds of him explaining how it's going to work to Woodward. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, I I don't know why that character there. It's, it's not funny re-explaining the plot. I agree. I don't, I don't get it. Um, I like, so, so then they go to the racetrack and, um, it's, it's kind of a nice shot of them all hunched over. Like he, like Chester has the camera and they're kind of behind him. Um, and there's like the montage of them, like watching the first horse race and, uh, uh, what was it? Tidy two was the name of the horse. Not, yeah, uh, not, not Hyperion. Hyperion. Yeah. <laughs> and, but then when he goes back to the betting window, did you notice how weird the money looked? I just want to mention like that money did not look like real money whatsoever. It looked like Maybe it, it was like casino vouchers or I, something. I called it, I called it twilight zone cash. Like you could use it in any episode of twilight zone, but that's where it only applies. Like you can't spend it anywhere else. Um, <laughs> it was just a weird money, but then they kept like, you know, winning and having a good time. And that was a nice, it was a nice quick, like for an episode that over explained things over and over again, at the beginning, it was a nice, um, like clean, like montage to show that they have a lot of money now. Yeah. Again, like I said, the visual storytelling is fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just some of the writing is not the greatest in this episode. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So they end up going home and, uh, you see Chester sitting at the, at the desk, counting all the money, putting in a briefcase and he's actively on the phone ordering one or possibly two cars. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and that's what, yeah. Like I, I, I'm making up my mind. If I want two of them, is what he says. Something to that effect. Like this very, very, like you know, like I, I'm a big man. I can make big decisions. Type of voice. I liked it. Yeah. Um, so then they hear a knock at the door, and Javier, the butler, comes in. Um, and uh, he comes in, and he's like, "I'm here for the dishes. I can't do a French accent, he's so like, I'm not even gonna try." I, I, I'm here for how you say the dishes. I'm here for how you say everything in the script, like that. <laughs> that you talk about Woodward bothering you every three seconds. He's like, uh, "How you say?" I'm like, every other word out your 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 mouth is like perfect English, and it's it's like a verbal tick. You had to keep throwing that in there, you know. And weird. I thought he was actually French, so yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, not again, not the best character either, but I'll take him over Woodward. Uh, so he walks in and immediately goes for the camera on the table and picks it up and he's looking at it and he can read the inscription because apparently the inscription on the camera is French. Or and is it German? Says it, we don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Go yeah, ahead. it could have been German. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Uh, yeah, God, this is not as bad as uh, as Mighty Casey. but That's true. This is a revelation that I'm not going to be able to get out of my head. Uh, so he tells him that it's only it can only take ten pictures. And he's like, "Well, where are you gonna where are you gonna get film for it? Like, what are you gonna do when he's after you take the ten? And then he takes the dishes and leaves. So um, immediately they start panicking and they're trying to figure out uh, how many photos they took and uh, even whether or not they should believe that the waiter could read the camera inscription. I thought that was kind of funny where he's like, how, how can we even trust this smart Alec waiter? <laughs> well, that and they, they raise the question of like, well, is this even correct? Like, could it like, we don't know just because it says 10 per owner, that doesn't mean anything, but then they add it up and they realize they've taken eight photos. So like, then that becomes like what all crooks and thieves do in situations. They all three have their own like idea for what to do with it. And that everything always falls apart whenever, you know, they're not on the, like when, when crooks are not on the same page, then becomes double crosses. 
Yeah. So they start fighting over the camera and it accidentally takes the ninth photo and it develops and it's uh, it's a picture of uh, of her screaming. So immediately Chester believes that's because Woodward is trying to kill him and uh, she's screaming because he's going to kill her husband. So he pulls a knife and begins to chase Woodward across the room and they get very close to the window <laughs> and in traditional Twilight Zone fashion, they both fall out the window. Like very suddenly, like unexpectedly suddenly. I had I had to rewind each time somebody fell out. Spoiler. Uh, each time somebody fell out the window in this episode, I had to rewind it to see how it happened again, just because it happened so quick. Yeah. Um, so she's she's distraught for a second. And then she's got this great moment where she gets over it super fast and just starts gathering up all the money. And she's like, oh, well, I got to move on, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, she says she goes over to the window. <laughs> what, what did she say? So she exactly. says, however, we must muddle through these things. Like she's just like telling yeah. herself like, well, this is just a problem, but I have the money and they're gone now, you know, but, but then she, then she does that thing with, with the camera though. After she said she wanted to save it for a day, that was an odd move. Yeah, um, it was a it was a morbid move. It was. Uh, she goes out and takes a picture of their bodies out of the window. And uh, at this point, the waiter comes back in. And this time he comes in with a big sack and he says he's here for the quote unquote laundry. Yeah, how you and, say laundry. I didn't know. Yeah, how you that. say laundry. <laughs> and starts taking the money out of the briefcase and shoving it in the bag. And she's trying to stop him and says she's going to call the police. And obviously she's a criminal, so she can't call the police because she's wanted. And uh, I, I, I do like the the uh, the waiter says, how do you say you dig <laughs> at the <laughs> end of funny. explaining how yeah. things are going to work? Uh, I did live at that. So um, he ends up uh, taking the bag and uh, the camera prints the next photo out, develops the next photo. And he looks at it and he's like, well, there's uh, there's more than two bodies in there. And so she goes running over to look at the window and trips over the rug and she then falls out the window. <laughs> yeah. And then he is like, Oh, like he looks out the window, says something about like, whatever, like how you say this is the end of the episode. I don't know. And um, he turns and looks at the photo and he's like, Oh, but there's four bodies. And then he drops the camera <laughs> and then you just see the camera on the ground and you hear him fall out the window. Oh, with with the strangest sound as he's falling. Yeah, it was like, ah! yeah. like it was very just very cartoony. Like you know, I I think you did it better than he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, just bizarre. And I'll be honest, like the first time I watched the episode, I'm like, I didn't think too much about it um, because I'm like, well, okay, their their fate, like that, the camera took the photo, and that's what had to happen. But then when I was reading like through like the the various books I have, the one. Uh, the, like there was very little written about this episode and, and a lot of the, I wonder the why. yeah, there is some information. I'll share that. But, um, the one guy just wrote, he didn't even have any trivia about the episode. He's like, how did the Butler or how did the waiter end up out the window? Like that was like his one question of the write up and this published book that I bought. He's like, what happened? And that was maybe about the his, camera like, pushed him. Maybe. Or maybe it was Serling. <laughs> right. But it was just like, I just love that. Like, you know, this guy's, he's taking his time to examine the Twilight Zone and write this book and pretty much always like, like, what the hell was that? That's pretty much all I said about the episode. And I'm like watching the second time. I'm like, yeah, you're right. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It, it was know, a weird ending. There's a lot of lessons that I've learned through the Twilight Zone in the past year, year and a few weeks we've been doing the show. And uh, I think the number one lesson that I've learned is to stay away from open windows. Right. How many people have fallen out of windows in episodes that we've watched? Yeah. Like, it, this yeah. has to be like the third or fourth episode of somebody flying out of a window. Well, yeah, because I mean, perchance to dream, that guy just rocketed uh, out of the window. Um, the fever, the fever, yeah. Um, that one, uh, this one. There's four people that fall out of the window. I'm just trying to think what else there was. I really thought that the cowboy was going to jump out the window or get thrown out the window in execution. That didn't happen. So that was a window fake. Yeah, um, last episode they were kind of close to the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I just think. Yeah. Uh, so, like, so I think uh, when you think of the Twilight Zone, you think of a door opening. Maybe it should just be at a window that people get shoved out of. Maybe that's what you should it's think a of. Looming open window. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get too close to me. Yeah. <laughs> um. So 
there's there's a reason why the episode is the way it is. And so to get into that a little bit more now is that one, like I said, it was intended to be part of the first season, got shelved. Um, the part of Paula was written specifically for uh, Jean Carlson. Uh, so because Sterling liked her a lot and was like, I'm going to get you on the show somehow. And so <clears throat> she is quoted as saying, um, I do believe and it's not for me to say this because Rod knew it all, but I kind of felt that it was an arbitrary ending, but it was a delightful shoot. So she had a lot of fun with it, but she didn't even like the ending either. Um, so, you, so you can kind of tell that like, even while shooting it, she knew that this was going to kind of be like a, like kind of a thud of an ending. Um, but Sterling says that scripts aren't always to blame, but the lack of time keeps the final product for being the most polished. This yeah. thing kind of got kicked around a lot because of, and you'd be surprised by this. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're um, fine. It is. There was um, more emph- emphasis on her heart condition that they wanted to tone down because they didn't want to bother any viewers that had had a heart attack. Um, also, there was a bit where uh, Chester was supposed to pull a switchblade, but CBS said no because that was illegal in most states at the time. So that's why I got switched that really tiny knife uh, <laughs> in, in the script. But there was the, also it said um, where was it? Uh, um, CBS kept like kicking the script back because they felt like the criminals weren't being punished enough. So I think that Sterling just kind of threw his hands up. He's like, well, what if they all fall out the window? You know, I think that's pretty much where he got to is like, and so um, this is just something that just could never get to fruition the way he wanted it. And here, here's the, here's the joke I've been thinking of all day talking about, like waiting to talk about this episode for an episode involving a camera that takes pictures of the future. It is really underdeveloped. There you go. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> it just but yeah. it just feels like it got kind of pulled apart and then there was not much left and it was serviceable enough and we've seen that a couple of times you know and yeah like it, it the base of a good episode is here like the idea of a camera that can take pictures of the future is something that's been done a lot um i, I we've seen it a lot um beyond this but like it, it has a good premise but outside of that um, the way it unfolds is kind of sloppy. Um, the characters are one dimensional. There's no character arcs. You almost get a character arc with, uh, um, Chester, but then he immediately backtracks, which mm-hmm. is kind of funny. Um, and th- they do get punished. So that's fine. Like, I guess that's the arc is that they're bad and then they're dead. So <laughs> that's, that's fine, but that doesn't make for the most compelling story. No, um, and yeah, that ending is just so abrupt and so goofy. It just it, it, it lacks any emphasis. Yeah, and I just I mean, I had fun with it the first time watching it, just because it was kind of snappy and and it, you know it, it cruised along. Yeah, but it's it, it's a quick watch. Like yeah. it it it, do, it doesn't drag at all. Like a few episodes we've covered. Yeah, it just and especially after um, not that the trouble with Templeton was bad, but that was not experienced in like the lateness of the hour, which I felt was kind of a slog in terms of just like the dialogue. It was nice. I as much as I know you don't like like crime, like cartoon type crime portrayed in this. Like I get it, but I like I'm but I'm also a sucker for like like good like quick like snappy dialogue jokes like that. Like I can, I can really get behind it, and I felt like the two leads did a really good job of that. Um, I just, I kind of wish that like either I wish they were in a different episode or that the gimmick of the camera was used differently. That's all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think we literally had that same conversation about cartoony, uh, criminals with a nice place to visit. Probably. Yeah. Uh, very similar characters. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I did, you know, I enjoyed, uh, two thirds of the criminals in this better than, <laughs> uh, two-thirds. Rocky Valentine. Because, yeah, because Chester and um, and uh, his wife Paula, they, they played very well off of each other. Fred Clark and uh, Gene Carson were great. Like they, they were funny. Um, they kept the episode going. It, it wasn't super memorable, but they were good. Yeah, that's about the way to put it. It's not super memorable, but it was okay. Like so, um, something I've not been able to do for a bit, just because some of these episodes have been so bizarre and odd that I can't find a real world analog. Like I can't find a fortune telling machine that William Shatner talked to. Um, like I can't find those. Um, I did. I did Google 
and tried to find like unusual cameras. And I just want to mention this. It's, this thing is uh, the, the world's largest camera, and it's probably been beaten since then, but it was in 1900. Uh, this thing weighed 900 pounds, and it cost $5,000 then to build. And it was made by a railroad company to take a photo of the rail line because it was just newly built, and they wanted like a nice big image of their railroad. And so this thing, because you could only print like once you made a print, it was the size of the print. Like you couldn't really blow things up because the, the technology wasn't there. The mm-hmm. glass plates on this thing was eight by four and a half foot. So the prints were over eight foot. And it just the, and this thing was only made for this one photo that was taken of this train. And it was, I just like, it is, um, it is a crazy looking camera and I'll, I'll link it on our, on our Facebook page, but just the idea that they, they spent all this money to make this large print uh, just for one shot. And the, the print actually ended up like helping the railroad a great deal because since it was such a majestic shot that it really got them a lot of attention, which was the goal. But just I just can't imagine someone be like, yeah, give me five thousand dollars in 1900, which I think would buy half of America so I can make a camera to take one photo. And <laughs> yeah. just it, it's like it has that that, that uh, uh, accordion t- style, like um, however you want to, you know, like old timey cameras do. You see this picture, and these guys are standing up by it. Like the thing is so big, they look like really tiny people trying to operate this camera. It's uh, it's really unusual. It's what it's, it's they, the most unusual what, camera. What if they? Uh, oh yeah, I see the picture. Yeah, yeah. that thing is uh, that is the most unusual camera. <laughs> You're correct. <laughs> um, what if they took a picture of the train and they looked at it and the train crashed? Yeah, I was just and thinking, then five minutes later the train crashed. That would have been terrible. Five thousand dollars they spent. <laughs> I was thinking like maybe they took the picture and someone's thumb got in the really bottom corner of it. Like you just could be like, what <laughs> happened? Um, but this guy, so they take the picture and it shows that trains are obsolete and they probably shouldn't have spent the five thousand dollars back then. <laughs> yeah, it just shows like uh, it shows like two thousand seventeen. Yeah, like like people on Ubers has gone by. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, this guy, the guy who made the photo, I, his, his name's eluding uh, uh, me right now. He actually I take that back. The trains aren't obsolete. They're they are going to be the future. So um, he took a really cool photo to a San Francisco Bay like um, weeks after the big fire and earthquake that happened there, like around the turn of the century. And he used like a like a 40 pound kite to get this camera up to do this really long exposure. So this guy was kind of like ahead of the game in terms of like thinking of like, how can I get these really shots that we take for granted now that must have been like mammoth undertakings to get this, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting stuff, but yeah, I'll post it on our Facebook page because I don't know, like anybody else, like I start d- diving into this stuff and I want to read all about it. So, uh, you uh, fall down that rabbit hole, especially yeah. on Wikipedia. You just keep clicking links. <laughs> yeah. So there, there you go. All you want to know about, uh, photography. There. Yeah. And unusual cameras. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, uh, do you have any other notes for this episode? Cause I really, I really don't. I mean, this was kind of, kind of, no, it's, it's, it's a pretty shallow episode. Um, there, there's not really much to dive into. Um, yeah, I just, uh, the episode, you know, a lot of times we talk about how ahead of, ahead of the time Twilight Zone is as far as writing and uh, sometimes uh, style. This episode felt of its time. Like, this felt like 1960. It yeah. felt like TV from this era. And uh, not that that's a bad thing, because it is from 1960, so that's, that's fine. But it just, it, it lacked that that Serling touch that some of his better episodes had. Well, cause it challenged for a second, the idea that, you know, this camera's taking a picture of five minutes in the future, that that supposedly is what is going to happen no matter what you do. It challenged it for a moment. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that is something that is a way bigger idea and a way darker idea. Cause I mean, it hasn't happened yet. Can't you just, just not have that happen, you know? And, but then does that break reality? Like, I, like there's always that question of if you know, the future is about to happen and you try to, to actively make it not happen. Are you, are you creating it anyway? You know? Um, and then with him challenging, uh, the, the brother immediately, his first thought was, Oh, well I'm threatened. That's why she's reacting like that. That was, there was a hint of a really cool idea in there. Yeah. That and uh, I really like the reference to um, the man with the horns coming to make a bargain for your soul thing. <laughs> like I thought that was a clever way to tie into it being in the Twilight Zone universe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, Woodward was terrible, and stay away from windows. That's really <laughs> all I got in my notes. <laughs> uh, I'm going to recommend uh, real quick before we get the twist here. There's a film. Sure. Uh, it's from 2014. It was on Netflix called Time Lapse. 
um, that yeah, actually. Yeah, I, I saw that. I was actually, and uh, we'll discuss at the end why I was digging through some movies uh, related to the Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I actually found a list of it had on IMDb the Twilight Zone episode, and then the movie was based on after it on the list, so you could look at each one. Okay, and I saw that. And I've I've never heard of that movie. It's not bad. Like I um I I watched it because uh Danielle uh, Panabaker is in it. She is in the Flash. She's one of the the scientists in the CW show. And my my one buddy was telling me he's like he he's like head over heels like in love with her. So he's like, yeah, you should check out this time lapse movie because he watched it because he thought she was cute, and I watched it because it's science fiction. So that was, yeah. it was um, and she's cute. Don't get me wrong, but the, the whole conceit is like these three people, like a boyfriend and a girlfriend and, and like a best friend, are all living in this apartment. And like California, it's like one of those um, ones where you open the door and there's like a little stone walkway between the apartments. So it's like I, it's very it feels like it's very unique to like areas that don't get snow, <laughs> like, you know, where yeah. it's like, you know, but so across the, the way was a neighbor who was a scientist that they find this really large like camera that's stationary. Like this thing is like the just like you think of like uh, 1950s computers big and they're looking at it because it only points at their window and they just see on the wall. There's all these photos and they start looking at them and they're trying to figure out what's going on. But then they realize the thing's taking a photo 24 hours in the future and it prints it out at a specific time every day. And it becomes huh. this it's it's so it, it deals with a lot of the ideas of this episode of starting to present. But th- but then you have you add the complication of the three of them knowing what it is. And because they already know what what because they just see an image through their window of what's going on. Um, like the one guy, he's a painter, but he's running. He's just kind of written to a rut and is not creative. He's hitting like a dry spell, but he sees in the photo that there's a painting he completed. So he starts making the paintings that he's seeing in the future. And he's kind of like justifying that's his creative process. But you wonder if, if it's, if it's him making it or if there's something else. It was, it's not the greatest of movies, but there's some really cool ideas in it. And I dug it. Yeah. Well, I'm interested because, like I said, I I enjoy the idea of a camera that can take pictures in the future and everything. So seeing this, uh, the roots of this good idea taken a step further sounds interesting. So I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um, So. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, did, did, did you have, uh, I know we're gonna talk more about what's coming in a couple of weeks. I don't know if you had another movie that you could think of or something related to this that is like um, the short future, you know, cause I feel like this is different than like time travel, you know, this yeah, is a- probably, uh, probably past your time growing up. Um, did you ever read any goosebumps? No, <laughs> I read yeah, your adventure books. Those, those uh, were my, more my dream. 1992, uh, say cheese and die camera that uh showed people uh, i was a freshman in high school i probably there's probably a reason why i wouldn't have been reading it you probably should have read it you would have been really cool <laughs> that's true I, mean, I was reading the bible back then so i should have probably just read that instead yeah but i believe they made it when they did the uh tv series too which is on netflix and uh it is terrible um i believe they made one that made that into a uh, episode as well nice um I'm, I'm sure there are other ones too, but I'm drawing a blank right now. Yeah. Um, um, so, so yeah, let's get into that twist. Um, I, I don't know. I gave it a two because <laughs> that the camera would be all four of theirs undoing. That seemed kind of obvious, but the way it, it ended in a way like, I don't know. I didn't it's see the, the waiter, wall. the twist. I, I, maybe. <laughs> I, the, well, yeah, I, I don't know. Like the twist is that they all ended up out the window, you know, but just, yeah. I mean, well, because the fact that the camera takes pictures of the future, Serling spoils that in the, uh, in his beginning narration. So yeah. that that's fine. And then, yeah, I guess it's the fact that they all just fall out the window. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I mean, as regards to like, I didn't see that coming that, that like, I mean, I should, as you've established that windows are now serious threats in the twilight zone. <laughs> Um, open, open. No, I guess not even open because people break through those window panes. So I'd like to think stay away from all windows. That something happened in the past fifty years where window structures got a lot more reinforced. Like I want to believe that this is actually something that happened all the time, where people just be like, "Oh, I guess I'm just going to make a sandwich." Oh no, I'm out the window. You know, like I want to believe that windows were just made with like you know balsa wood and like sugar glass. You know, no, to like, be honest, like older windows were made with thicker glass. Like true. if you go in older houses, you can see the imperfections in the glass where it's thicker and stuff. So I believe it was stronger then. It's thinner now. Um, oh, so it's even so, bigger threat now. Yeah, it's even worse now. Um, yeah, I 
I oh man. I, I feel like a two is even being generous. I don't even know. I don't even. I don't. But what is the twist? That the twist is that they. The twist is that the waiter is actually from Germany, and uh, <laughs> that That's one. True. Given that twist, a five because okay, I yeah. totally blanked out of that one. Um, yeah, I'm. I, I love every time we get to the these twists like this where it just starts with a sigh. Um, I, I'm gonna give it a one. Okay. Like I, I kind of enjoy the episode. It's fine. It's not one of my favorites. It's enjoyable for uh, for at least a one time watch. But yeah, it, this this ending and everything is just terrible. You know what? I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna retroactively give it a one as well because I don't really feel like it deserves much of anything. Yeah. Because there's not really I, anything I have there. No reason to even be nice to it as far as the <laughs> twist this week. Like you just want to bully it and shove it out a window. That's what you want to Again, do. Again, I I do want to reiterate because we've had some <laughs> listeners. Uh, uh, upset with our ratings recently. Well, no, and, I, uh, to, to defend Steve, uh, Steve King, who uh, so listens to the show, enjoys it. Uh, he he was thinking that we were rating the episode, and he blanked and realized that we just rate the twists because he was yeah, like, Why? So <laughs> yeah. "We don't necessarily rate the episode. That's what the discussion is for. Um, <laughs> you can suss out whether or not we enjoyed the episode based on that. But rating the twist is fun." So. I'm yeah. not giving the episode one twist is one. I just want to reiterate that if we have some new listeners and uh, I don't want them to think that I'm just bashing every episode we've done for the past couple of weeks. I want the one person to be like, oh, man, the most unusual camera is my favorite episode of the Twilight Zone. I hope I hope they just say nothing but good things about it. I, I, I really would. That would be sad. If it's like this is like their favorite episode, which I mean, you could have whatever episode be your favorite, but I would think that there would be. Well. 120 some other ones that might qualify i don't i don't know i did see that this is one of the top syndicated episodes of the series so people must like it like there's got to be a reason for that i feel like cbs is probably is given away for free that's probably what happened like it's probably close (laughs) to like public domain money um yeah so anyway enough about that so uh did you want to get to um our future plans well because or did you want I don't know. I, we have an announcement for the end of the episode. Um, yeah. So, well, yeah. Uh, let, let's get into next week's episode. And then uh, as we as we end things, uh, okay. we'll talk about that. So uh, how can people get a hold of us and tell us about they they, they disagree with us? Um, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, Strange Highways. Join the conversation on there. We've had some people messaging in, which is awesome. Um, uh, people commenting and everything is uh, very fun. So Paul does a great job. Find us on Instagram, Strange Highways Podcast. I am posting as much as I can find that is relevant within my life to the Twilight Zone. Uh, uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and leave us uh, ratings and reviews on there. It help us out. And then if you want to email us uh, or voicemails, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcasts at gmail.com. Perfect. So, did I miss anything? No, no. Uh, uh, next episode is a Christmas episode. The only Christmas episode the Twilight Zone has, had done uh, is Night of the Meek, and it's actually one of the um, VHS ones converted to film. So there was no uh, no information about the teaser for it. So um, yeah. we just know that it is. Uh, is it Art Carney is Santa Claus. Yes. Which, yeah. yeah. So. Um, and I get people, people like this one. So I'm, I'm not saying that the VHS stuff is low quality. It's just that they're, they're really limited by what they can do. So I, I, have never seen this. Um, I know we're getting close to Halloween, but why not a Christmas episode? Sure. Yeah. I've, I've seen this one before, I think, uh, two times previously. Um, so I'll, I'll leave my thoughts for that for next week. We were thinking about putting this off for Christmas, but it just didn't feel right. You know, we, we talk about how great it is going in order and everything. So we just, we just got to roll through it. But for the week after that, this is our announcement. Um, since we have the Christmas episode and then I think the one after that is a Western, it really wasn't getting us in the Halloween mood. So we wanted to pick something that was kind of related to the twilight zone. So we were throwing around a few ideas for the past couple of weeks. And what we're going to do two weeks from now, um, we're going to be covering a film from 1973 called Encounter with the Unknown. And it is a uh, anthology film that uh, I've never really heard too many people talk about. But it actually is narrated by Rod Serling. So this is something I've never seen. I think it'll be interesting to have a conversation about it because I think it's ultimately a lost film. And I, I've never heard anyone talk about it. So 
I was trying to find something interesting that tied into Twilight Zone. I, I think this one, if anything else, will be a strange snapshot in the exploitation <laughs> films of the 70s. Yeah. So, and the fact that I think it's, it's three be a fun stories. Conversation. Yeah. It's an anthology story, too. So it's like it's perfect for the show. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm look. I, I, this is, this is actually going to be a lot of fun because normally either one of us kind of know about something, you know, and this one, no clue. So this will yeah, be a lot of fun rolling terrible. into it. It could be a train wreck. Um, but if you want to play along at home, the film in its entirety is on YouTube and it looks like it's fairly good rip. Um, but if you do want to buy it, I saw on Amazon, the DVD is like five bucks, uh, on prime. So it's, it's very accessible. Um, it, that might not be a good thing. So uh, <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Yeah. So then that'll be fun to get to. So, so next week, Christmas. And then the week after that, Halloween question mark. So, um, let's but, kick off the holiday season, I guess. Yeah. Right. So, um, that'll do it for us. Uh, have a safe week, everybody. And I, I guess, oh, you, oh were you going to say something? Um, yeah, you didn't uh, read for next week. There, there's nothing. That's what I'm saying. It was oh. one of the VHS ones. Oh. So there's yeah, no, te- there's no teaser. Um, or else I would have butchered it. That was like that, but I, I don't have the opportunity to butcher anything other than what I've talked about the past hour. So sorry, I must I oh, must have blanked. And now I'm, I hit uh, I hit the microphone. I'm just, now I'm out of sorts. I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm posting a picture of Hyperion on our Facebook page right now, so I was kind of distracted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so distraught. I'm just gonna go jump out the window now. So that's it. I'll see you guys next week, or will I? Because I may be out of a window. See you guys. I'm scared. I'm palpitating. You and your phony palpitations. A little palpitating never hurt anybody.